Hi, my name is Alan Zeldin. I am co-founder of Future World, co-founder of Planform, and founder of Boldly Foods, and I am with SoFlow Vegans. Welcome to the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. We bring you vegan experts from around the world to talk about health, the environment, animal advocacy, and spreading compassion. It's our passion to help you navigate the vegan lifestyle by listening to the experiences of vegan influencers, doctors, and experts. Thanks for listening. This is the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. And now your host, Sean Russell. Hey everybody, welcome back to the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Russell, founder of SoFlow Vegans. And we have someone on the show that actually has me beat with being founder and co-founder of a lot of amazing organizations making huge impacts on the world in multiple ways. And rather than me go through all of the different ones, we're going to let him speak for himself and talk about the impact that he's making, hopes to make. And of course, we have Alan Zeldin on the show. Thank you so much for joining us on the SoFlow Vegans podcast. Thank you, Sean. So we, we, we have a tradition here where we talk about your vegan origin story. But before we do that, I do want you to uh, tell us a little bit about some of the projects, some of the businesses that you are affiliated with. And then we'll touch a little bit more about the, you know, the about of each of those later on the show. Sure. Uh, Dan, well, there's a lot to unpack there. I think uh, I'll probably go in the sequence of like energy and effort. So first and foremost, I am Future Food Advisor, Kilara Capital, which is Australia's largest impact growth stage venture fund in Australia. In So there's that. I am also co-founder of Future World, which is a digital content media platform celebrating the latest innovations in and, and releases in fashion, footwear, and design. And that really means the move away from animal-derived materials, um, which is very much a passion project for me, and it's something that I continue to learn from in osmosis. Then I am um, also co-founder of Plantform, which is what we like to call a, a plant-based modern manufacturing accelerator to help accelerate the growth of the plant-based food category. And then recently just launched Boldly, which is a plant-based seafood brand. And we've just soft launched in Miami uh, and we'll formally launch that in May at the NRA. And our products are crabs, prawns, shrimp, tuna, salmon, sashimi, and a variety of others, which will be launching exclusively in food service throughout the U.S. this summer. And you said it's launching where? Um, where which? What's the organization? So it'll be launched. The brand is called Boldly, but we'll be launching exclusively through food service. So it won't be a retail-oriented play. It's the real reason behind that is that I find having experience working in my digital days with a lot of independent fashion boutiques is that these food service, particularly these independent food service business owners, they are really are the tastemakers, the change makers, what I also like to call the directors of first impressions for a large group of people that have never really embraced these foods. 
and no one really works closely with them to celebrate them, to really partner with them, to um, help them be amazing. And that's a large part of what I want to work towards is to create this strong ecosystem of passionate restaurant operators and giving them these plant-based foods, beginning with seafood, seafood because it really is, it really does create an exciting experience for many as many haven't really moved beyond the burger when it comes to their plant-based offerings and really start there. But then from there on, I'll be able to listen to them and understand some more of their pain points, more of the products they're after. And by virtue of the work that I do in plant form, being as probably close to vertically integrated as possible when it comes to the manufacture of these foods, not only can we be competitive, but we can also start to tweak and really innovate, custom innovate a lot of these products moving forward as we build out that ecosystem. But it's very much a business that I'm looking to to work very closely with the food service network throughout the US to grow the category. And, and I appreciate that further explanation. And um, at what I was actually referring to when you said NRA, I just wanted the clarification on which organization. That's the National Restaurants Association show. So it's the largest food service show in the US. So think Expo West in Los Angeles, Anaheim, but specifically catered towards restaurants and food service operators. And that'll be right, in Chicago perfect. this May. Perfect, perfect. Because some of our listeners might have heard that and thought National Rifle Association. So I just wanted no, to... No, no. <laughs> I just wanted to clarify that one, although I knew what you were talking about. So let's go into your vegan origin story, and then we can take a little bit of a dive into some of the different organizations and the movements that you are presently working on. So what is your vegan origin story? It's funny. Very few people actually ask this, but it's something that I'm very proud of. So I never had any inhibitions to change my diet. I, um, what happened actually was I was working in online digital media in Australia and we just acquired another digital media asset and it wasn't working out as much as I'd like. And I'd also just had my second child. We had two under two. And a week after my second was born, my um, father-in-law had a massive heart attack mm. and it was a really challenging time because I was really being pulled in all different directions. And it was a, it was a very dark time. And a month later he'd actually passed and that really impacted my wife and our family and her ability to even just do like simple things like breastfeed our child, which meant the baby was up at night, which woke up our eldest. And I was coming home at midnight working, slaving away on these businesses and waking up at 5 a.m., taking my eldest out, and I was just falling apart. I was breaking. And I remember I went to the playground with my eldest, and I realized that I couldn't change my circumstance. Like, it was a really challenging, dark time, and all I could do is really just try to adapt and improve myself in that time. So I picked up my phone, and I started doing a Google search, wondering how I could increase my energy. And I put together this list in my notes, and I still have this list. And I had things like increase your, you know, your vitamin C's and magnesium, iron, whatever else. But one of the things that came out a lot was reduce your intake of animal-derived foods as due to the stress it puts on your body. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go on a 30-day meat-free detox. 
and I did. And in that 30 days, I was just a different person. I just didn't need sleep, I felt. I had so much energy. My skin was better. My energy was better. My concentration was better. My youngest would wake up, you know, looking like to breastfeed in the middle of the night. I was already waiting. I'd pick up the, my, the baby and throw him to my wife and put him back and then have this crazy deep sleep and then get up ahead of the alarm. It was just incredible. But during the 30 days, all I could think about was eating meat, namely spaghetti bolognese. It's all I thought about. And so at the end of 30 days, I went to my local butcher and it feels like I guess it's crazy to even say these words now doing what I do. But I went to the butcher and I bought some meat and I spent all day mincing, making, flavouring this meat to make this extraordinary bolognese. And I remember after hours of making this bolognese, I was putting the food in my belly and I couldn't consume it. Mm. It was my body was having this physical response where my brain was telling me, eat, this is exactly what you've wanted, but my body was rejecting it. And it was a really confusing time for me. And so I thought, well, look, my body doesn't want it, so I'm just going to keep going. And then I learned about the dairy industry, and that was just another layer that had changed everything for me because as a new parent, relatively new parent, I thought mm. I just couldn't support that category. I couldn't believe it. I felt lied to. And so I quickly gave up dairy, but I was so angry about that industry that I remember getting a gym membership just to like work out and take my aggression because I take my aggression out because I was so frustrated, so angry. And then it was just eggs. And I used to eat eggs every day, but I just gave it up and I didn't think twice. I just I never looked back. But and then all of a sudden I realized that geez, I'm vegan. But I remember at the time nearly 10 years ago, it wasn't what it is today. Mm-hmm. So, and, and in my mind, there might be some stigma. So I never went around saying I was vegan. In fact, I used to tell people I was plant-based, which no one had heard of that term at the time. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, I used to hide it. And interestingly, when I, I look back and I, I realized I was a closet vegan because I never wanted to own it. It was something that I was afraid to do. And there was this one time where I was out with my friends, like work colleagues, and I ordered some food and I said, can I get, it was an avocado or toast. And I would just say, just to make sure there's no butter on the bread, yeah? And just hold the feta, no feta. And, um, you know, and I would ask all these questions. And, and one of my colleagues, my business partner actually said to me, Alan, please save us. Just tell them you're vegan. <laughs> it's so much easier than having to go through this whole narrative. It's really upsetting us. And um, I was like, damn, I really have to own it. And I did. And at the time... I felt amazing, but my biggest issue was I had osteopenia and I had generated consistent stress fractures from running. So many tibial stress fractures that I used to run on the the soft sand in Bondi and I sustained a fragmented sesamoid, so I shattered the bone in my foot on the sand. I lived with 10 years with an orthotic um, just to remove the pain because it never heals that injury. It's It's a death sentence for a runner. Mm. And I remember about a year in, I, I didn't really know anyone, but I did reach out and become friends with James Wilkes because the only resource that I had was the Ritual podcast at the time. And James Wilkes was an early who'd made the game changes now, but mm-hmm. then he was working at it. He was a guest and he blew my mind because of the data that he was able to share. It was accessible and it was aspirational. And I really connected with that messaging. So I reached out to him and, and he really just guided me on some of my thinking around nutrition. 
And it was incredible to also speak to him about this film that was being made and to sort of catch wind of that journey. And he just suggested just get a, get, your, get your bone density checked because, I mean, you're having so many dark leafy grains and the absorption in way of calcium is so much higher. You might be surprised. And I didn't want to get a blood test, but my GP was on my back saying, my general practitioner, mm-hmm. who said, you have to get your bloods checked because the way you're eating right now, having osteopenia, we're going to talk about all these supplements and slowly getting you back onto meat or animal-derived foods or stuff. And I thought, no way. And I got my bloods checked and my cholesterol, which I used to have enormously high cholesterol, gone, disappeared. But then he also, and I remember at the time he was like, okay, the bloods are actually perfect, but you have to get your bone density checked because you had osteopenia close to osteoporosis. And I got my bone density checked and my my T-score, which is the measurement of where you're at, so minus 1 to minus 2.5 is is osteopenia and minus 2.5 backwards is osteoporosis. And I had minus 1.8. So I went from minus 1.8 from a few years ago to minus 0.03. So no longer, not only did I not have osteopenia anymore and reverse my bone density issues by removing animal-derived foods, namely dairy milk, which was obviously leaching me, was obviously damaging my bones. But I'd actually like, I had my bone density was some of someone that was like far younger than I am. And I couldn't believe it. And even more excitingly, after 10 plus years with an orthotic, living in pain with my foot, that pain in my foot disappeared. Back on the sand, I couldn't even walk with my children to the beach. It was so agonizing. But now all of a sudden, I went for a walk on the beach. It was pain-free and I was told all my life I would never run on the soft sand again and here I am today living proof that I'm back riding on the soft sand 10 kilometers like I used to not at the times that I used to because I mean mm-hmm. but I'm doing it and so that's why I'm such an, an ambassador and advocate for this lifestyle because I know the healing properties of these foods it's particularly obviously when you're leaning on whole food plant-based diet. And so that was really much my vegan journey and as a continuation and to help move into the next phase of what you probably want to bring up. Coming to work every day after speaking to people in the US in the space and I was thinking, and I go to work and I'm thinking, I have zero interest in what I'm doing. It has no impact on the planet, on human health, on animal welfare. It's a waste of time. I'm chasing some big fancy exit to, to drive security for my family, but I'm not even seeing my family. My youngest doesn't even know who I am. What am I doing? So I decided to just get out after nearly 15 years in digital. I said, I'm getting out, and we're looking towards an exit. And the only real exit we could work towards, given the time frame, was uh, an asset sale, which we did. And I went, and then I remember actually I called um, Neil Zacharias, who has the Eat for the Planet book and podcast and the Plantega business, and it was someone that I got to know. And I called him and I said, hey, I've just sold my business. I'm free now. And he said, well, what are you doing this weekend? Well, this week, next week. And I thought, nothing. Why? What's up? And he's like, well, we're having the very first plant-based world expo in New York. You should come. I'll introduce you to everyone. And I booked a ticket. I went. And he did introduce me to everyone. And it was mind-blowing. I found my tribe. I had no idea what I was going to do. But I went in, you know, no backup plan, no idea what was going to happen next, and I did, and I've never turned back since. And, yes, we had COVID, and there was some significant bumps in the road, and I went from feeling like a hero to zero very quickly, but I've come back from the ashes and 
it's been an incredible ride, but that is the long-winded story. <laughs> and thank you for sharing that because it's it's surprising to me that there's so much pushback on the advantages of a plant-based diet, specifically, like you said, a whole food plant-based diet, because you don't have to have a third-party story to to be able to say that it's effective. Like even for me, like before I went plant-based and it's about 10 years now, I was getting a shot every single day for allergies. And, and then I went plant-based, I started eliminating things from my diet. And then, you know, none, it all kind of just disappeared. It went away. I haven't had to get a shot. I don't even get sick, you know, rarely get sick. Like probably in the last 10 years, I've been sick four times and one of them was COVID. So it's just like, you know, it, for me, it's important for people to, to hear these stories because everyone has that sort of aversion once they've been on in this lifestyle, I won't say diet, been in this lifestyle for a while. So thank you so much for sharing that. And what I do want to touch on, two things that you mentioned before we get into that next part of your journey. I'll take the plant-based world expo as like that line and then we'll cool. we'll go from there. But um one, when you got started and you were switching out the foods that you're eating, it took you a while to adopt that um the vegan, I don't know if you're using it or not, but just kind of acknowledge that you were living that lifestyle. What was if you mind sharing like what was some of the things that were going through your head that made you veer away from using that title? When I first decided to remove animal products from my diet, well, the challenge is this, that I found, particularly at that time, I had some girls that worked for me at the time, they were vegan. And whenever I would go out for lunch and I'd have like a chicken sandwich, they would sit there and they would tell me all the time, you know why, you know, there's no real salmonella in chicken. Do you know why people get salmonella poisoning? Do you know what the kill floor looks like, et cetera? I'm having a chicken sandwich. And that messaging didn't work for me. It just, it wasn't accessible. It wasn't aspirational. And everyone has to have their own journey. But that created, it's like telling me, told, hey, clean your room. Do you know, like, <laughs> and, and yes, there's a place for it, you know, in regards to, pe- to people, people to, to see with their own eyes what happens. But to me, it's, it needs to be, and the thing that I would always talk about, I want a vegan world. I want industrial animal agriculture to be, finished in my lifetime and I'm working every day towards that. But I think a large part, like my mandate with Future World is progress over perfection. My, my, my mandate with Boldly is positive progress. And I believe that if people had one less animal-derived meal a day, well, climate crisis solved. Their health significantly improved and animal welfare, a big step forward, more work to be done. But it's that bite-sized chunk that everyone needs to go towards. And like I'm vegan and I'm obviously super proud in, in my messaging and my branding. I don't call it plant-based. It's vegan. Mm-hmm. It's 100% mm-hmm. vegan, loud and proud. Um, but at the time, you know, and looking around, looking, understanding like my peer network, that it was, it was all my friends still consume me. We go out, everyone will eat me. It was just, and for me, I didn't want to be an inconvenience. Like I knew it felt really good for me, but I was, it was, it was, a, it was a, it took some time for me to come out and really embrace. And also my wife, even when I was vegan and she was vegan too, it took her some time because when you come out and you say you're vegan, there's an element of ownership you need. And there's this 
added magnifying glass where I think there's a lot of people around you that are just waiting for you to slip, to make a mistake or mm. to like all of a sudden embrace a little bit more animal-derived foods. And it's like, and so for me, like I will never, ever go down that path. But for those people that want to eat majority vegan or want to eat 90%, you know, vegan foods, like that's to be celebrated still. Like it takes some time. And even with, our, with even actually going towards that, like with our brand Future World, we, we use two Vs instead of a W and those Vs stand for vegan and vegetarian because even vegetarian, so many people start off vegetarian and then eventually become vegan. And that's also to be celebrated. We need to celebrate that progress and make that messaging accessible and aspirational. And there's work to be done. But that was pretty much my thinking at the time, you know, it wasn't, I didn't know anyone. I didn't have resources to lean to in regards to, like I had my fitness pal app that I was inputting my food, trying to make sure I'm getting my potassium, my protein, my, all the different nutrients, but I didn't have a tribe. Now I have a tribe and I learn every day and I continue to learn every day. And there's incredible people that can inspire me daily, like local Jeff Palmer. Mm-hmm. And he's incredible. You know, and I aspire to be, you know, if, if, even if I'm a small fraction of where he's at today, it'd be incredible for me. But, like, that was very much, like, my thinking at the time. We want to hear from you. Visit our website to ask a question, leave a comment, or tell us how much you love the show. We'll play some of your messages during the episode, as well as directly to our guests. So be sure to leave your name and city and visit SoFloVegans.com slash podcast. And that's where I was going with that. And I kind of figured that's that was the idea because I have a lot of these conversations with people, uh, especially people who haven't made that jump, made that jump into the lifestyle yet. And that's usually the number one reason why they say they haven't gone vegan. And where I am right now, and I always tell people the reason I am vegan now, I'm not going to say that I had this revelation back when I got started, but it's for compassion only because it's more so compassion for myself to always ask, you know, when I'm in a situation where it's like I'm looking at somebody and I'm telling them and I'm, I guess, quote unquote, judging them because they're not the way I am. I find myself getting caught up on that. And then somebody said this to me at one point and it's always stuck with me. And what they said was, what am I being right about? And for me, that always rings in my heart because it's like, would I rather be right or would I rather be compassionate? Because a lot of times being compassionate and being that being that change that you want to be enrolls people a lot more than, than telling. Because can, that's when you get what you were talking about earlier, people waiting for you to slip, waiting for you to, to you know, eat the wrong thing. Rather than it's just like, hey, I'm human. This is what I'm why I'm doing it. Because usually when somebody comes at me and they're like, hey, why are you vegan? Or hey, this, did you know that bacon or whatever? I'm just like, I'm doing it for this reason. Yeah. And and they have nothing to say because it's my reason for doing it. Hundred percent. I completely empathize with that. Like I I often like in my heart, I know it's right, but I try to move away from what's right and what's wrong. And I just think this is my way and I'm going to lead by example, be the best possible example moving forward, ensure that my actions every day have ripple effects 
and that I'm actually unlocking an impact and just moving the conversation forward. For me, what I love is I love when these conversations are being had. So, like, for me, the biggest, like, and there's from a, like, when we're talking a lot about personal and there's so much more in the business to unpack, and I typically think, like, the three value drivers in, the, in our category are manufacturing, distribution, and awareness. And the challenge is, especially now with the greatest use of funds going into manufacturing, I always think, imagine if we'd spent those billions of dollars in awareness rather than manufacturing, because then manufacturing would just be a byproduct of the growth. If we And awareness isn't hiring a CMO or social media manager. It's like, how do we get these plant-based foods in front of people that would never throw it in their shopping cart? How do we get them to try? When I was at a at the for plan form at the private label manufacturing association show in October in Chicago, people would walk past and they would go, oh, vegan bacon. No. And they'd walk on. I'd run down the corridor for those guys and I would be like, please try it. If you don't like it, spit it out of my hand. Because mm -hmm. I need them to make that connection. They can come in and they can start saying it's processed, it's this, that, the other, but I've actually just moved a little step forward. And the fact of the matter is so much of that dialogue unfortunately typically happens inside our own network because what's really driving this space is the animal welfare activists, your nutritionists and your environmentalists. And you know what's the frustration for me is that so few of all of us actually get together and work cohesively together. We're so caught on in regards to the different parts where they disagree on and so for me, it's like I'll work with people in keto, like because keto, as I think I mentioned this in the actual um, at the event at Seed, because half that diet is hunting and gathering. So let's just put a greater emphasis on the on the hunting, fruit till noon, rather than the bullet copies. And then if we really want to talk about gather, hunting, well, let's think about what people were hunting in the Paleolithic period, what the, what the what the meat looked like then, rather than what the meat that people are consuming today is. But like, let's have that conversation. Let's just have more dialogue. And yeah, it's going to boil down and let's do it in, in a kind and compassionate way, in a way that's not going to create resistance and meet people where they're at. Mm -hmm. You know, I find that a lot of the time with my work, even in Future World too, when we talk about the shift away from leather and the leather industry has this image problem now and they're coming out trying to say that they're this circular uh, byproduct of the fashion industry, of the, sorry, of the meat industry. And and. And sometimes when I've made comments about these things, I mean, I've had some seriously vulgar attacks. And I just take a second and see where they're at. And I obviously know it's money is a big enabler for a lot of this, this feedback, especially in forums like LinkedIn. But then I ask questions like I've provided data here, like provide your data. And, and I'm open to learning. Like even when I went vegan, the first thing I did was like, yeah, I watched uh, all the movies, What the Health and Forks Over Knives. But then... After watching them, when I went to Google, I didn't Google the Fork and Knives, Fork Over Knives cookbook I, I, or, or What the Hell Cowspiracy cookbooks. I Googled debunk Cowspiracy, debunk What the Health, because I wanted to get their take and then I could make a balanced, have a balanced view of these things and come to a place where I felt informed on both ends. And at the end of the day, like the arguments people want to, like sometimes these little things that people want to win on let's say the the absorption of animal protein versus like a plant-based protein is higher or like the, the level of detail in that is so minutia it's so small you know if that's the case if the studies they want to have but it, it, it's it's much of muchness 
you know, but like if you want to contest the absorption and bioavailability of calcium from plants versus milk, well, there's no question, you know, like there's so much data to prove it. And like, it all depends what hat people want to wear. You know, if you want to wear the thing like, well, you know, we can come out and talk about the, you know, class two carcinogens when it comes to processed meat versus I'd say some of the positive, like it's all, whatever narrative people want but ultimately all i really want is progress and what i really want is people to reduce because i know if they reduce it's start it's that bite-sized chunk it's that little step in the right direction and i know that once they start to ask more questions and they start to feel better that journey doesn't just stop they'll get to a place where they'll be they'll reduce their meat intake 50 percent 70 percent 80 percent and god willing 100 percent and we have work to do in the space that we operate in to make it even more accessible and tick all those boxes and value drivers around, not just around price, but taste, texture, availability, a huge one, et cetera. So it's all just a work in progress. And I get everyone's end. And I've been on the other side, as have you 10 plus years ago. And so I'm just telling myself as I move forward, what would I do now to make me 10 plus years or something? both of us 10 plus years ago be able to listen mm-hmm. be able to take an action rather than really work in our little you know inside our echo in our echo chamber another example now that i'm having this rant is when afc launched their beyond nuggets mm. the furor in the industry was people were like what a joke these aren't even vegan they're vegetarian why even do this this is a waste of time but i look at it and i think like cool I'm not going to eat it and you're not going to eat it. And that's how I feel about cell base too, for that matter. But like we, the fact that this business, this brand has gone against the very core identity of their heritage mm. has embraced the plant-based alternative for the very first time. We need to be on the streets dancing, screaming naked, like telling people like, this is amazing. You have to try this product. We're not going to eat it because it's not vegan, but this is huge. This is what's celebrating. And unfortunately, we get caught up in, in some of that little, you know, those details and really don't aren't able to take that Google Earth view in regards to what's really happening here. And and I like I I feel I feel the urge to continue this, but I do want to go over a lot of the your the businesses and the yeah. and the initiatives that you're working on. And let's go back to Plant Based World Expo. Yeah. So you have this epiphany, you meeting these people within the industry. So take us from there on how you continued your journey. Wow. Okay. So this is going down memory lane. It's, it's, I know it was still only a few years ago, but it feels like a lifetime. So I really didn't know what I was going to do. And I came there to meet the category and I came back to Australia and I thought, what can I do from here? And so I was having some really exciting conversations with some prominent investors and nonprofits. And I spent some more time in the US sort of fleshing that out. But I realized I couldn't move to the US. And that's what it boiled down to. So I thought, what can I do in Australia? And that category in Australia wasn't doing anything at the time. So there was two things I started working towards. One was I started working on exporting Australian plant-based foods. Generally, Australia has a great name globally for being very high quality in produce, produce and foods. And moreover, we are, I think, the number one exporter of sheep and second in beef. And so I thought, well, given that, surely we can 
trickle that sentiment down to plant-based meats. So I got the category, which is more of the time, together, and I put together this exciting little presentation, and I seeded it with some buyers globally, and I had some great interests and purchase orders. And at the same time, I was speaking to a large part of my corporate network about things that they were moving in on because everything I was working towards was asking questions, understanding where are the pain points, what are the problems to be solved. And I noticed that a large part of what they were doing and how they were moving forward was reliant on people in ESG. These corporates had these environmental goals. And quite often they didn't know how to hit them beyond investing in renewables. And I knew food was a huge part of that. And there's also huge moves, particularly in the corporate space, that they want mind share here. No, never mind the investment end. I mean, when you've got BlackRock coming out saying that they're, you know, that they're from all their from their portfolio, all the sustainably oriented businesses in their portfolio far outweigh returns compared to the rest of their portfolio. So clearly, people want to move in that direction. And so I started working on an investment, uh, 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 an ESG series here, and I was locking up guests. And then COVID came, mm. and everything I invested and everything that I had in the pipeline dissolved. So and everything that I'd and the, the 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 tiny exit that I'd had from an asset sale in my digital businesses to fund these things, which were so exciting at the time, that had also gone. So then I needed money. So all I could really do was I realized that I had all these the plant-based, the vegan plant-based category was starting to generate some interest in investment circles. And I knew a variety of investors, a lot from the tech space that wanted to tap in here. And I knew a lot of businesses that also needed capital. So I started working on really consulting with a lot of these businesses, getting them investment ready, putting together their pitch decks, investment memorandums. But I really didn't want to do it. I hate consulting because I'm a business owner and I want to get stuck in. And I found that very frustrating. But also it broke my heart because I know what happens when these businesses generate their first checks and they have capital. I know what it looks like when these business partnerships come into play and that journey of raising money and that that requirement to chase that that liquidity event to get the investors their return. And that's a whole different story to unpack. And I've been there with my business. I mean, we didn't really generate capital in my businesses, but I've gone from five to 50 people. And I know what it does in way of the business and the dynamic. And there's a lot of learning and a lot of humbling. And I just, I didn't want to be part of that. And so, I made a really hard decision where I told my wife, I said, listen, I need to stop chasing these dollars because if I ever only ever chase these hundreds and thousands, I'll only ever make hundreds and thousands and I really need to understand what to do next. So we, I asked her to go back to work and I started taking care of our young family and I spent a few months really being insular and trying to figure out what to do next. And I just journaled. I still have my journal here every day. What am I good at? What do I hate? You know, what do I want to do? What's more, what do I want to leave behind? Everything. And I came to this realization that there were three things that I needed to do in moving forward in this in way of drivers professionally. And one was access to deal flow, which I was generating. I could see that, how powerful that was in regards to all the investment work. Two was control your own success. And I can unpack that one later. And then three was impact, which is the most important one. 
And then what happened was in that time, miraculously, it's as though I'd manifested and I started writing incantations of all these things, but all these opportunities had then come to me mm-hmm. when I was able to just breathe and listen. And one was the Kilara opportunity, of which I thought was really bizarre because I really was trying to run away from that. But the people at Kilara are amazing and they're impact-oriented and they really measure their investments primarily first on impact and then in returns. I'd probably say evenly, but impact is at the forefront of everything they do. And they do they do a lot of investments in renewables and other in other categories, but having the opportunity to really be their lead advisor in food was incredible. And then Future World. So I wanted to buy better and I there was no resource unlike plant-based news or, or the economist or Liv Kiley, nothing about the shifting way of fashion and footwear. And I just wanted vegan sneakers. And so I knew a guy who was doing incredible things on Instagram to really create more hype and education around that. And again, that's a whole story to unpack, but I just went to him and I said, listen, like I come from online fashion. I never wanted to get back here, but like, let's just throw a little bit at this and let's move beyond Nikes and talk about the category and what's happening. And, um, we launched it in day one, Vogue business covered it. And then oh, before you, months later, we had Farfetch knock on our door about curating conscious collections, Timberland about their first non-leather derived boot on Nike and the rest is history. We really doubled down on that. And I realized that that problem that it was solving for me solved a problem for so many others. Mm-hmm. And there are so many amazing parallels actually between fashion and food in regards to these fashion, footwear, automotive and design industries hitting their environmental goals, which means cutting ties to industrial animal ag. And you can see that in, in automotive with BMW's investments and natural fiber and General Motors and Microworks, but it's an incre- it's a passion project and it's growing incredibly. And the people I work with are amazing. But the food is my primary. That's what I do every day because nothing moves the needle more than food. Out of like nothing. And... Through my work at Kilara, having seen that the greatest use of funds, investment funds, is being pushed in manufacturing and seeing the category not grow with total meat sales, plant-based meat sales of 1.4% and being stuck there for two years. It just, I knew we could do a better job. And if, if money is being thrown in manufacturing, I happen to know the most prominent manufacturers throughout Southeast Asia. And we have over a thousand products in the market. So we partner with them to help grow the category. And by doing that, we can help a lot of these early stage businesses who are pilot stage, rather than having this fine market fit and then raise money and then scale, raise money, scale. We can, we've got all these products, we can do all this innovation, like we can lean in and partner with these types to help them on the journey. So if and when they decide to raise money, they can be further along, have better terms and raise that money and see that money being thrown in the greatest value driver, which is awareness. And then there are all these great plant-based food businesses that already have incredible distribution channels. And rather than raising money to focus on new product development and R&D, we've got a thousand products. Pick some products. Let's go. Let's partner with them. Then when it comes to range review time, if they like it, if the buyer wants it, then we've got commercial terms sorted out and we can help on the innovation front to ensure that it still maintains that IP thereafter and help grow the category, moving beyond these capital forces far more efficiently. And now we're actually working with global store brands because 
of what's happening in the category, um, we're able to, if, if price is an inhibitor of growth by virtue of us working directly with the stores and we can really help solve that bottleneck. So that's the platform piece and as an offshoot of that. So we, so I launched that soon after the future world and um, that's been going incredible. And then well, boldly was just a natural extension of that. I've got a great team that have built significant businesses in the space here and seafood's obviously a very hot space right now. We're doing, we've done some great work in way of innovation there and we can move beyond just one skew. We can launch with a variety and we can be a lot more efficient just by virtue of our, our direct access to manufacturing, but also through our networks. And really, I never wanted to do a branded play, but I do have a soft spot for many of these independent food service businesses who I consider to be some of the greatest change makers for our space. And I want to partner with them. I want to help them be excellent. I want to be able to get them products that tick all the boxes in way of price, texture, taste, all that. And I want to improve on that. And I want to learn from them about their other bottlenecks, about what other products they're after so we can move beyond seafood at a later time. But for now, seafood really does have that wow effect when people have it, you know, in way of likeness and experience. And I want people to have that experience. I want people to widen their horizons. We have, yes, there's a commercial opportunity, of course, but like I'm not looking to take anyone's market share. Mm -hmm. All I want to do in my biggest mandate which is a problem in our space right now because there's so much capital invested and that's not conducive to collaborations. I want to unite. I want to collaborate. I want to share learnings with the space. I want us all together to collectively move forward. And unfortunately, as I mentioned, sometimes when these businesses have generate capital and have a mandate, it's not conducive to that, that, that energy. And so I'm in a fortunate position that I don't have investors breathing down my neck. We have these successful businesses. And all I want to do is work together with the category to move forward, but with the right people, with mm -hmm. the value-oriented, mission-driven types that might not have the greatest strengths in commercials in other or manufacturing. Find those types. The category is now at this tipping point. It'll correct. We're not going anywhere. Those that really care aren't going anywhere. We're going to continue to fight on, and we've got lots of growth ahead of us. I know it. Once the you know the hype beast decides to simmer, um, simmer down. So yeah, that's basically the story of Plant Based World Expo, and then this progression to where I am today. And I'm still yet to catch my breath, but yeah, it's all happening. And I think you teed up a perfect segue into how do we come together? How do we unite, especially people who are mission oriented? I know there are a lot of people listening to this podcast and even people that I've mentioned that I'll be speaking with you or that I even met you at Seed. And they're like, oh, wow, you know, their, their interest peaked because they're looking to, for example, you have some people who are vent food vendors are working at farmers markets who are looking to start getting into packaging and starting to produce products and things of that nature. So for those people that are out there listening, you know, what are some of the ways that you are looking or that you're currently collaborating or working with or what are some of the things you're looking for in terms of that collaboration point? On the collaboration front, like we're we're drowning in opportunities right now. So as much as I'd love to help everyone out there in the market, we have to be mindful of who it is. And ultimately, it always really boils down to impact for me. And many of these um, many of these early stage 
people that also just have these ideas, you know, and, and, and really fleshing them out. I get a lot of that. And sometimes I think like that they have these grand plans, which are like I, and I've been there, but a large part of they, a lot of them are very much fairy tales too in regards to their plans. And so some there's a you gotta be you it sounds terrible saying this, but I really have to spend some time qualifying some of these people and really understand because we can do the manufacturing, but I don't want to just do the work for a lot of these guys. Like I need to be able to know that if we can take care of this foundational element, which is so critical and really solve that problem, then you can really own the rest. You know what needs to be done. Yes, like I've got contacts in media and, and, and distribution and global opportunities, but that's a really imperative part for me. Um, you know, I've got businesses sometimes that come up to me in these uh, in other countries and they're like these grand plans about what they're going to do in the US. But I think, well, one sec, yeah, like you're actually based elsewhere and you have this home market, like why not focus there? You know, like I don't think you realise. Or also other people that are already in market that are exploring license opportunities and they don't realise what that looks like too. So there's a bit of learning a large part of the time. And so we have to be cautious who we do that work with and make sure that there is a real synergy. Um, but for a lot of these guys at an early stage, I mean, if you're talking about people in these farmers markets with a lot of these products, like my view is like, it's not just me, just you got to think a bit laterally about growth and think like, what are those pain points? Can you find the right partners rather than generating capital? Because a lot of the time you're getting investors that have never grown a business. Everyone seems to think they've got this idea and that, great, I need to raise some money and go. But when they get this investment, they get a business partner. And these business partners, so more often than not, they've never grown a business. They don't have any idea, appreciation, and potentially respect for that process. They understand the spreadsheet and they understand they want to get a return, but they don't understand some of the other moving pieces in the business. And so if they all of a sudden want to come in and flex and have a seat on the board, can be quite challenging. And a large part of the time, particularly with some of these accelerators and early stage investors, is they'll want to work with you to dress up your business to help you a year down the track raise again to appreciate the value in their, of their equity in the business. That's really critical for them. That's their, that's their mandate. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, and, and these things are celebrated, these record-breaking investments, but they really... Sometimes I, I look at these business owners and I like I, like, I particularly have like those that have already been in business and understand that the, the, as of I that have been around the block and know where the potholes are, then therefore mm -hmm. they're far more seasoned and they get it. And that's why you typically find a lot of the leaders in our space are probably people like them rather than the mission-driven types. They know how to navigate around investors, capital markets, capital forces, how to like run our pitch decks and how to communicate their strategies and say the right things. And a large part of the time, again, a lot of those people aren't mission-driven. They're, they're looking to leverage energy in a the market. They're opportunistic. Mm -hmm. Most of them are pretty like, you know, well-oriented, but some of the bigger ones sometimes not so much. But that's sometimes the, the challenge. And a lot of these businesses that you saw at Seed, they, they come in, they're frustrated because they're like, I want to raise money, having a hard time. Um, and I'm sort of out of my depth. And that's why I stopped doing the consulting because it's like I feel these businesses are paying me to help them. And obviously that comes at a big significant cost. Like it breaks my heart because I know how hard it is for them to get that money. Mm. 
and I, I want them to keep that money. I don't want them to spend it. I need the money. I need to pay my bills, pay my children. But I really know how hard that those dollars and cents are. And it, it just it, it, it didn't sit well in my system. Um, and I, I couldn't do it anymore. It's a challenging landscape. And so the best thing you could possibly do is just like speak to a variety of people that have been there and learn and just open doors and navigate and just keep communicating to people. You'll find your tribe. But don't just, if someone comes out, throws you a big check, like just quickly, like have a think about it and qualify some of these investors or partners as well. If it's a manufacturing partner or an investor, go on, let's, if we just talk about the investors, this dynamic of, oh, holy thou investor, hold on a sec, let's just find out before you engage with them. It's worthwhile asking what's their appetite in this space? Do they like to lead or do they follow? At what stage do they like to invest? Do they write the check? Who writes the check? Because mm. a large part of these investors, particularly these VCs, they have a mandate to speak to X amount of businesses of which Y they'll do a due diligence on. And that's a small Y. And then Z, an even smaller Z that they'll invest in. And ultimately these investors, especially these bigger ones, they're just the same as these business owners. They have to raise money from other people to then invest that money. So anyway, it's like I know it's a very loaded answer but I think it really just boils down to like look beyond traditional capital forces as, as a process for growth and speak to other people, you know, and, and see if you can find partners to unlock that growth in a far more efficient path. And Planform plays a significant part in that, part in that, and we hope to as well. But my mandate with Planform is very much impact. And so when I look at the category right now, you know, a large part of what excites me is the ability to land and expand inside existing distribution networks rather than building out new ones, mm. particularly at this, this time in the market. And then working with people that have a lot more pool and solving a problem, like problem, these global store brands have a problem. They want to, you know, expand their margins. They have also shareholders they need to satisfy. They have their own internal problems. And if we can give them the foods that they know and well are already sold, at a fraction of the price at a white label, then we'll, we'll do that. But at the same time, I also just want to work with the right businesses in the plant-based space, the mission-driven types to help un unlock that foundational growth for them. And th thank you for that answer. It it really, I feel it addressed a lot of things. It let people really kind of know some of the cautionary things before they try to jump down a certain direction. So um, I appreciate you taking the time to share that. So as we start to wind down on the podcast, because I could do another hour for you, but I know it's super early for you over there and you got to get your day started. Any advice, any feedback that you would like to give people out there and it doesn't have to necessarily be small business owners it could be anyone in the space consumers anything that you feel with this time that we have together you would want to leave with them so that maybe they we can as a community start coming together and uniting and working towards that singular goal yeah it's hard i, I don't really there's so many things and so many angles, you know, there's, you know, as a consumer, sometimes I think beyond business, you know, you talk about being compassionate, being kind is at the forefront of what I think a large part of the time. In regards to business, I really believe, you know, the kindness piece is critical, but like being a little bit sharing learnings, uniting, collaborating, having better conversations, bridging a divide, all that's really important. 
thinking about that, if I'm taking, let's say, a focus on the early stage businesses too, I remember when I launched my digital business in fashion 15 years ago and I had this idea and I thought I can't share it with anyone and I had these NDAs mm -hmm. ready and it was such a waste of time doing that. It really pushed a lot of people away. Mm -hmm. Now I just do the opposite. I tell, I say everything. You know, I'm open book. I'm so transparent, obviously, within the law because it's like whatever I'm working on, like, I know that I can execute. I'm very confident in my ability to execute with these things. And I just, and if someone can out-execute me, good for them. They're moving the category forward, then go for it, right? But like, I just feel like people can be a little bit closeted. And I feel like we just move beyond some of our personal agendas. As I was talking about the tribalistic nature of the different narratives in a category, you know, I think it would be a lot better. We just all just had better conversations. I think that's a really big one. And the other one I would just say is just show up as much as possible. Like a large part of my success today is thanks to LinkedIn, which is why I post New Daily there because and I, I, it's not like to for any personal or professional agenda. It's very much catharsis for me and potentially overshare a lot can get me in some trouble. And I don't listen to a lot of the keyboard warriors out there. And if I feel honest, I have to. It's just not going to invest my energy there. But Doing that is also going to be really effective just to show up and be seen. It's really important. A lot of us, like, and I'm guilty of it too. I, in my digital businesses, I sat there for 10 years and I worked in a business and on the business and I didn't really spend a lot of time out there. And I find that if you get out there, you'll be surprised what you'll actually bring, what will come to you. Mm. Manifest it. You know, write these things down. The power of manifestation is I'm, 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 I'm proof of it. I wrote down... 10 things every single day, the same 10 things, and they all come true. Right. And I put it out there in the universe, and the universe listened. So there's a variety of little things in there. I hope someone can take something from all that I've shared there, but that's my personal experience, what I believe will significantly help, not just the category, but people that are looking to to grow the, into the space. And, and thank you for that share. And then the last thing that I'm going to have you do before we close out the show with a segment we call From the Heart. And pretty much what that is, is just, I know you, you sort of did that right now, but just the final word that I'm giving to you for the episode, and then we'll close the episode on when you're complete with that. But before we do that, just let the people listening or watching know more about where they can get information on you, you know, what's um, your LinkedIn, all that info, info so they can follow, start following you. Sounds good. Yeah, like I'm on LinkedIn, obviously, and I rant a lot there. So feel free to follow and clearly the businesses are there too. And I know we have an Instagram page for Boldly Foods, which, which have just started. And then there's Future World. Future World is, is uh, Future VVL. So it's replacing the W with two Vs and constantly moving and shaking there. So do check that out. But, um, yeah, that's the, probably the best place. And soon, we'll hopefully very soon, we'll have significant distribution with our Boldly Foods and you'll be able to taste the foods. And I'd love to hear your feedback. And if anyone has any questions, of course, reach out. I'm always uh, available um, to talk and support the category as much as possible. And then I'm going to give you the final word. It could be as long or short as you want it to be, but this is the floor is yours. I'm officially turning the podcast over to you and, mm -hmm. um, yeah, have fun with our audience. Thanks, Sean. Thank you very much for the opportunity. In fact, it's, uh, my very first podcast after, <clears throat> 
years of swearing I would never do one. So I was grateful to have this opportunity with you. <laughs> but um, if it's going to be around from the heart, I can only talk about my personal experience. And yes, we can talk about you know, the animal piece and the health piece. But there's one that particularly gets me, you know, having two young kids. And it's one that I think about every single day. My two children, they're my my greatest reasons for being, they're my why, they're the reason I get up every single day and work so hard. And a large part of that, of what I do, means that I actually don't get to spend a lot of time with them. But I do, everything I do is dedicated for them. Everything I do is for them. And for those that have young children, I know you'd feel very much the same. And I can only speak of one experience that I think is um, a really important one, something that I think about and reflect on a lot, is when we had the very prominent bushfires a few years ago here in Australia, the air quality was so terrible that I couldn't even take my kids outside. And we have a playground just across the street. And my kids would ask me one that morning, they asked me, they said, let's go to the playground. I said, I'm sorry, we can't go outside today. And they're young and they couldn't understand. I said, there's fires. I'm trying to explain it to them about the air quality, but it went above their heads and they just couldn't understand why there was this playground across the street and they just could not cross the street and access it. It was right there. And they looked with such confusion. And I thought, well, we know that the leading cause of greenhouse gas emissions is animal agriculture. And for those that want to contest it, they're not factoring in all the other moving pieces in the supply chain from the feed to deforestation, et cetera. But given our current trajectory, I often think about what kind of future and legacy are we leaving our children and our children's children I know my children, given the current trajectory, they should be fine. But I think about they'll have kids and one day that air quality might be a daily reality for them and they'll have to look at their children. And I know they'll love their children just as much as I love them and have that. And we all have power. You know, we all have the ability to make an impact. You don't just necessarily need to work in this space. It's through your daily choices and your actions. It's a vote. It has ripple effects. It's huge enormous it all adds up um and so my big thing would be like when thinking about the future the current trajectory of what we're working towards is that people just are more conscious in their consumption choices fashion and footwear and food food is the primary driver and so that's probably my from the heart piece and why i get up and work so hard every day is to ensure a better future for our children and our children's children because I know we're at this tipping point and we have the ability to make a change. You've been listening to the SoFlo Vegans Podcast. As you can see, our passion is to help people navigate the vegan lifestyle, having on vegan experts from around the globe. Sean is the founder and, of course, the host of SoFlo Vegans, an organization created to help make South Florida a global hotspot for veganism. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, find us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at SoFlo Vegans. Find the show and more at SoFloVegans.com slash podcast. And for questions or comments, send an email to contact at SoFloVegans.com. Our food is grown, not born. See you next time.